All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with two excellent newsletter writers. Chen Lin uh, publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And Roger Wiegand uh, writes Trader Tracks. That's a, a newsletter that's really geared towards uh, futures trading. Uh, we do have special introductory rates for those newsletters, so call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to my website at miningstocks.com. I'd like to remind you also to go to jtaylormedia.com, that's J-A-Y, taylormedia.com, to access this show, all three of those newsletters, as well as all of the other things that, that I do on the radio and television, etc. Also, you can follow uh, me on uh, Twitter under the Silverstocks handle. That's uh, J. Taylor Twitter, Silverstocks is the handle. We want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for the first hour of today's show. Our sponsors are American Manganese, Airway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Goldrich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. Of course, we want to thank each of you for making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Our numbers are continuing to increase. Very encouraging. Lots of people are catching on to this show. We do bring people on to this show with ideas that are somewhat different than, certainly a lot different than you're going to hear most of the time on the mainstream. So it's uh, it's really good uh, to know that people are listening uh, and are benefiting from this show. This week we have two really fascinating guests uh, with me. Uh, joining me after the break in just a few minutes will be Bill Tatro. He's an economist and radio show talk host, uh, talk show host uh, in the Southwest. Uh, I met him in Tempe, Arizona recently at the Wealth Protection Show. Uh, he also has some radio exposure, I believe, in the Northeast, perhaps in New York State. Bill has a very good newsletter. It's a service that I think provides excellent insights into the market, and he also provides some excellent trading advice. And Bill, uh, like yours truly, is very much a deflationist at this point in time. He believes that the Dow is heading uh, to towards around 3,500, I believe, and his target date is 2016. Oh, uh, well, you're not going to want to miss what he has to say and what his logic is behind that view and how to uh, invest and protect yourself accordingly. Uh, in the second hour of today's show, former Cleveland and New York Fed official and attorney Walker Todd um, will be with us to talk about the economy, what the Fed needs to do now to get it going again. Uh, but Walker will not only talk about the economy, he will also talk about uh, why we need to return uh, to a gold standard and how we can accomplish that. And interestingly enough, 
Todd has been condemned by the China People's Daily online newspaper for his pro-gold standard. That uh, particular Chinese publication actually thinks the U.S. Uh, is leaning towards a return to the gold standard to maintain its global dominance in the global uh, in the banking industry globally. Well, I was a bit surprised to read that because I don't know too many people in the mainstream anyway who are suggesting that we return to a gold standard. But anyway, that was a very interesting article that Todd sent to me, and they were uh, not very happy about this notion that the U.S. might return to a gold standard. I wonder why. I mean, uh, I guess the idea is that the U.S. has so much more gold uh, than other countries, at least if the gold is still in Fort Knox, and who knows about that? That's another issue that our friends at the Gold Antitrust Action Committee have been raising for some time. Um, anyway, this is a very interesting concept to me, this notion that um, that um, we would be going back on a gold standard, uh, that the Chinese think that, or at least this particular newspaper is suggesting that we are leaning in that direction. For a whole host of reasons, I believe we should go back to the gold standard, uh, and, in fact, next week's guest, we're going to have Ron Paul and Louis Lehrman. Uh, both together, if uh, things pan out the way we hope, uh, will be joining me online next week to talk about exactly that, going back on the gold standard, how we can accomplish it and why we should be doing that. Uh, also, um, I hope to draw today on the wisdom from Todd Walker. As I mentioned, he's going to be joining me in the second hour of today's show. Uh, to help me prepare for next week's show, in a sense, uh, as a pro-gold former Fed official, rare, a rare uh, person indeed, a Fed official who believes we should go back on the gold standard, Todd Walker, uh, has, through a great deal, has thought a great deal about how we should do that, and he says there are several questions that need to be answered before the U.S. does, in fact, endeavor, if we do, to return to a gold standard. So today's show should set the table, I think, very nicely for next week's banner show with Lewis Lehrman and Ron Paul. I'm really thrilled to have both of them agree to come on this show and share their insights with you. Uh, before we go to our first break and then to Bill Tatro, though, I'd like to pass on a few of my own thoughts about the markets now. As I noted, I am uh, leaning in the deflationary direction. What would cause me to change my mind would definitely be a collapse of the dollar. If the dollar were to collapse vis-a-vis other paper currencies, then I would certainly uh, have to change my thinking, I believe, about uh, deflation. So, uh, of course, there are those like Robert Prechter who believe that's not going to happen. They're very confident the dollar will, will remain strong. I think a, a Gary Schilling would fall into that camp as well. Um, and I, I don't know, we'll see what um, uh, Mr. Tatro, uh, Mr. Tatro, as well as um, uh, uh, Todd, um, uh, Walker Todd think about that later in today's show. But uh, if we were, if the dollar were to collapse, then clearly imports would be very expensive, be very difficult. Um, then, uh, well, the whole global economy could conceivably uh, implode and we would be looking at some sort of a new uh, monetary regime globally, I would think, because the dollar is still the world's reserve currency, but everywhere we look, there seems to be growing evidence of problems, and they are not inflationary. If anything, they are deflationary in uh, in the credit markets, at least. Certainly in Europe, as things seem to be imploding and getting worse by the day, China, uh, from all that I read, and I know Bill Tatro has some ideas about that as well, I think he may be talking about that in the second hour, uh, or just in a few minutes, actually, on that issue of China. Can China pull us out? Can China be the engine to restore the world's economy, the global economy? Uh, there's growing signs that they are having their own difficulties there. Um, so 
with all of the debt that cannot be repaid, debt is inherently deflationary, and they're trying to fight the deflation with huge amounts of money. Walker Todd and both um, uh, Bill Tatro will talk about the, uh, the problems of that, I'm sure. Uh, my own concern, though, is that we are that Mother Nature will win, that we're heading into a credit deflation that will take the nominal prices of stocks and everything else down. Uh, Mark Faber, I noticed today, is talking about 100% likelihood that we're heading into another recession starting Q3 or Q4 of this year or into next year. Uh, Tatro, I believe, feels the same way, that we're heading into a, def- uh, into a recession. Robert Prechter, for sure, the most extreme view on that believes we're heading into the soup. Uh, Ian Gordon, Arch Crawford, Michael Berry, who's been on the show all, and a number of others who really take the deflationary side of this, uh, of this argument. Um, but, you know, what really matters to me as a gold investor is the real price of gold. And the real price of gold is undeniably in an uptrend, a very, very strong uptrend, this week closing north of 45% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. Remember, it was only 17 or 18% before Lehman Brothers broke down. And with that is coming continuing, continuing strong profits in the major mining companies and in the smaller guys, too. This is a bull market of a lifetime for gold mining. I believe it. Uh, that is not to say you should rush out and buy everything you can get your hands on. Uh, it is a risky market for companies that have to go back to the equity markets to raise cash to put holes in the ground. No, I'm looking at companies that have cash flow who can uh, build their companies organically, and there's a growing number of them uh, uh, on my list. And I just uh, last week met up with some companies from the Yukon, I think very, very interesting companies I'll be writing about in my newsletter in the not-too-distant future. Well, we do have to go to our first break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be with Bill Tatro. You're not going to want to miss what Bill has to say about the global economy and what you should do to protect yourself against the problems that come with it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Bill Tatro. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network arrowway energy is an oil focused canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the peace river arch region of northern alberta canada with a land base of over 28,000 hectares surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as birchcliff energy and shell canada Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? 
Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from Gold Explorer to Mine Developer. We are well-funded, located in stable eastern Canada. The Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www prodigygold.com and read more prodigy gold today's discovery tomorrow's future voice america business network the bottom line in business you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time today, Bill Tatro. Uh, he is a talk show host, an economist, and a very dynamic speaker, as I'm sure you will, uh, you will learn to know in a few minutes. Uh, Mr. Tatro uh, earned a degree in economics from Auburn Community College in 1966 and a BA in business and economics from Alfred University in 1968. He received his CPF uh, from the College of Financial Planning in Denver in 1988, and he started his professional career at Merrill Lynch in 1973. From 1975 through 1990, he worked at Prudential Securities in Rochester, New York. In 2004, he was named Chief Investment Strategist at Biltmore Wealth Advisors, LLC, in Phoenix, Arizona. During the 1990s, Bill was a regular on the WHEC-TV CBS Noon News uh, with his segment Dollars and Cents, and frequently heard on 1180 WHAM Radio. From 1999 to 2002, he hosted It's All About Money uh, on news uh, station 1040 AM WYSL broadcast throughout the Northeast. Uh, he continues his radio and TV work by bringing uh, It's All About Money to KFNN, that's 1510 uh, in Phoenix, and WENY in New York. Bill has also authored the book the 100 or the one hour survival guide for the downsized and his work can be found on town hall finance as a featured columnist welcome bill to turning hard times into good times well jay thank you it's a pleasure to be here and i just have to correct you on one thing okay that please. Is, it's pronounced tetro t-a-t-r-o very french very french <laughs> some people think it's tetro which is italian but And there's a long story about that also because it was changed. And I'll just say it very succinctly. My grandfather came into the United States back in, in the, uh, the 20s, 
and my on my father's side, and he couldn't find a job up in the Northeast. And he was in the Messina, Rome area. By the way, he came in legally, say, <laughs> and he came in and he couldn't find a job. And so he changed his name from T A T R E A U X T A T R O. And they said, "How do you pronounce it?" And he says, "Tatro, Tatro. I'm Italian. I'm Italian." <laughs> and actually, he was a French Canadian. So, so we say it. It's uh, Tatro. Sounds like Italian, but I have discovered that way back in my history there was a a little bit of Italian, so that's why I do a lot of talking with my hands. Well, yeah, and, and, but you do a lot of talking with your voice, and uh, and so we don't have to see you to appreciate what you have to say, Bill. I want to go back to the Wealth Protection Conference uh, that you and I both attended and spoke at uh, a few weeks back. Uh, you started out uh, your talk, a one-hour talk, with a demonstration that uh, I think applies very much to investing um, and while you were standing on the stage you held out a piece of paper and asked an attendee at the show if he would be willing to make a one dollar bet that if you left go of that paper it would fall to the floor of course the attendee thought that's a no-brainer and he he took you up on the one dollar bet whereupon you walked over to the podium and dropped the paper left it go onto the podium uh, and so obviously you won the bet and the attendee lost the bet well, how does that apply uh, to the world of investing? Could you perhaps relate that to our listeners? Well, sure. I, a lot of listeners out there have heard people say, run away from someone who has a crystal ball mm-hmm. because they, they don't know what the future is going to bring. I absolutely object to that statement and can prove it. And that's why I use the piece of paper on the stage and I hold it out and I say to anybody out there, you now have all heard that. Nobody has a crystal ball. Well, let's see if that's true. Have the piece of paper. If I let go of it, will it rise? No. Will it stay the same? No. It will float to the floor because you see they see me standing there and nothing between me and the floor. And so they'll take the bet. Now, what happens is I then, as you said, I walk over to the chair or table there. I then drop it, and it doesn't go to the floor. Mm-hmm. What have I done? I've changed the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell them I'm changing the dynamic. They just assumed it's always going to be the same. Drop it, goes to the floor, yes. Mm-hmm. I said, how did you know it was going to, well, do you have a crystal ball? No. <laughs> but just experience, gravity. Uh, going and paying attention in the in the physics class or the you know the geology class or the astronomy class, it's gravity. It's going to happen. But when you change the dynamic, it surprises people, and also it then changes what's going forward. So consequently, what my point was that the business cycle of growth, boom, bust, contraction consolidation, and then growth, boom, bust, contraction, consolidation mm-hmm. had been interrupted. And in 2008, we didn't go through, after the bust, we didn't go through the contraction. We allowed GM to survive. We allowed the banks to survive. We allowed AIG to survive. We allowed all sorts of people to survive. And, of course, we tried to support the stock market. We continue to try to support the stock market. That's a false sense of support, and it also simply delays the contraction. You see, you can't stop the, the, the cycle. You can delay it. You can postpone it like Japan has done for 20-some years, mm-hmm. but ultimately it will come back. And when the contraction comes, if you've postponed it, it will be greater in the future than it is now. In other words, take the pain now because it will be a lot more pain in the future. Now, very, I'll finish this by saying we have a history of what happens when you postpone contraction. That's what's going on in Japan. Mm-hmm. They've kept the interest rates at zero. And, oh, by the way, what did the Nikkei do? It went from 40,000 
all the way down to 10, and it's struggling at between 8 and 9 right now. Uh, never to receive that again. That's why I've said continually the mar- our market will ultimately be down around 3,500. Why? Because it will be a 75% drop from the top of 14,000, and it will, it will be mirror almost what the Nikkei did from 40 down to 10. So just understanding the economics of it says, man, I have to start to think differently how I invest money. Okay, so if we go back and if uh, we were back, and I know in your discussion, in your talk, you talked about the 1907 uh, contraction or, or depression, uh, be, you know, before the Fed existed. And so I guess that would be analogous to dropping the paper without walking over to the podium and changing the facts, changing the, the conditions. Right, but here's what happened in 1907. You had the original J.P. Morgan who was watching the market, the stock market collapse, and he said he was he was called upon, and they said, look, we can't have this happening. We can't let it go by its own thing. We need to step in. We need to not print money but put money into the system. Mm-hmm. Of course, he had to get an agreement by Jesse Livermore not to continue shorting. There was an agreement. They all came together, and there once again was an artificial support of the market. But a couple of weeks later, a couple months later, the market continued to collapse. Which showed that the central bankers or the bankers at that time were very strong, but they couldn't continue. They couldn't stop with the inevitable. And so then they wanted to pull together the Federal Reserve. So for the next uh, period of time, the next contraction, the 1930s, we had a Fed, which then did what? They delayed, or they uh, delayed the contraction even more and more effectively than uh, than J.P. Morgan and his well, crowd were able I, to do. In the- yeah, I think I think if you look in 1913 when the Fed when the Fed was created, mm-hmm. the, it, it you know Jekyll Island, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But if you look in the early 20s, okay, this is this is this is why I'd love to get Mr. Bernanke in a debate because mm-hmm. I've contended that he knows a lot about the 30s, but he knows nothing about the 20s. And that's where he, he, he falls down. Because in the early 20s, we went through a very dramatic recession. And when we went through the recession, there was a, a situation where we could have gone into depression at that point in time. Mm-hmm. But what happened was the Federal Reserve did not intervene. Nobody intervened. We went through the normal contraction. Businesses failed. There was unemployment. But it was over in a matter of months. And what happened? We came out, we went through the consolidation, and then we went to growth and the boom. Everybody remembers, what did they call the 20s? The roaring 20s, right? The roaring 20s. And then when we got to 29 and 30, of course, I mean, you had Smoot-Hawley and, and, and you had all sorts of different things that were happening. I mean, was, we could speak hours on the real reason for the depression, etc. But the bottom line was that the Federal Reserve and the government totality tried to feed as much money in the system as possible, but it just didn't work. No, and it had to play itself out. I, th- I like the fact that when in, in 1939, uh, Morgenthau, who was the Secretary of the Treasury under uh, Roosevelt, I think it was Morgenthau. Yes, Morgenthau. I think it was Morgenthau, right? Morgenthau. Okay. Yes. Cause, you know, you got me early here, Jay, this morning. So. <laughs> uh, but but uh, so so but Morgenthau made a statement, and and the statement has come back to haunt a lot of people. He said, "We have done everything we could do." to stop this depression, to get people back to work. We have put as much money in the system as we have, and it still didn't work. Now, yeah, the, Keynesians exactly. will, the Keynesians will take the approach, and Timmy Geithner 
will take the approach. And Ben Bernanke said, well, yeah, they did, but they should have done twice as much. They should yeah. have done three times as much. Yeah, so which, not, they're not questioning the, the policy. They're just questioning the effectiveness or the execution of the policy. And I know exactly that quote you're talking about because Morgenthau, who was a close personal friend of FDR, said after eight years, you know, we, we've done everything we can. We've pumped money, huge amounts of money into the system, and we have as much unemployment as we had when we began eight years ago. So why don't we learn? Why? I mean, what, where's the bias, and, and why does Bernanke not get the 1920s, for example? Why doesn't he understand that? Well, I'll, I'll sum it up very succinctly by what my professor, when I went to college, my freshman year in college at George Washington University, and that's where I started, uh, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith said to me, and we had, I got to know him very well, and he was a Keynesian. And he just continued to say to me, there are certain policies and principles I couldn't understand. And he said, that's why Mr. Tatro, and I would correct him and say Mr. <laughs> Tatro, but he was a Canadian. And he said, no, no, no. He says, uh, you don't even look French. I'm, telling, I'm calling you Tatro. And so uh, he said, because you're an Austrian. He said, you'll never get it. He said, we believe that the government, the government is there. Um, you know, Keynes said it's the government's role to move to the next level, and they are they believe that. And so what they believe is it's very simple, the picture you paint. Uh, an Austrian is digging a hole. How does he get out? He kind of uses and brings a little more dirt down to the side to, to just to step out. The Keynesian says, well, I haven't dug the hole deep enough. i got to dig it deeper. Maybe I'll get out by going out the other side. Yeah. That's the picture that that you see. It's just it's it's ingrained in them, and it's very difficult for them to think any other way. Well, it seems to me very obvious from an Austrian point of view that uh, the free markets work, and they work to allocate uh, capital and to allocate scarce resources e- efficiently. But uh, but I guess it isn't so obvious to to some people. But uh, and I'm wondering if if part of the issue, uh, Bill, isn't just simply that. You know there are limits in life, in fact, and um, and maybe people aren't aren't willing to accept the natural laws or natural economics uh, that there are limits, in fact, and the government is always asked to do the impossible, or that we're always looking for somebody to make us safe and secure. Uh, maybe that's what's at work here with the socialists and with the Keynesians. I think you've hit the nail right on the head. People saying not willing to accept certain degree of inevitability. Think about who writes the checks for the politicians to get reelected. Mm-hmm. And so if all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're looking at a corporation that says, you know something, you guys are in a failure mode. And the best thing for you guys to do is to go out of business. AIG, the best thing for you to do is go out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bank of America, Citibank, um, Bear Stearns, Lehman, whatever. Uh, it's it's best GM. It's best for you to go out of business so new businesses can form and take your place and not make the mistakes of the old one. All of a sudden, those businesses say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, Jay. Jay, aren't you up for re-election this year, Jay? I'll tell you what, Jay. If you help us stay in business, you help support us, Jay, we're going to be a big supporter of you as you right. run for your re-election right. this year. Right. So there's a certain ingrained embeddedness, and I use that word embeddedness by being, and drop the nest off and saying being in bed. Okay, together with these guys. And that's one of the major issues. Not only domestically here in the United States, but look what's going on in Europe. The same thing. You have the same issues that are going on. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a mentality that is uh, anti-free market. And so I, I think that to, to call this capitalism is probably a, uh, not 
uh, labeling what we have correctly. Would you agree with that? I would. However, I would say if you put the word crony in front of it, mm-hmm. then, then it I works. would agree and say, yeah, it's a, it's a different dynamic, but I would right. call it crony capitalism, and right. I would say, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, you you have a really interesting history. You talked a, a bit about, uh, you know, having been a student under John Kenneth Galbraith. I think you pronounced his name somewhat differently, didn't you? <laughs> Galbraith? <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought when it... Huh? Pardon me. The doctor? No, I mean, no. Uh, no, but I thought I heard you say his name a little bit differently than John Kenneth Galbraith. But anyway, leaving that aside, Jesse Livermore, your grandfather, knew Jesse Livermore. And Jesse Livermore, as you noted in your talk, was one of the greatest traders, if not the greatest trader of all time, who actually managed to make a fortune going short during the uh, d- during the stock market crash of, of 29. Um, yeah, what did you learn from, from Livermore? And from that story? Well, first of all, my grandfather was out on Long Island, and he got to know uh, Mr. Livermore. Okay? And uh, I always refer him to as Mr. Livermore because mm-hmm. I was instructed to do that, mm-hmm. uh, to understand that the markets can go both ways. The markets can go up. The markets can go down. And Jesse Livermore was considered the great bear because he made most of his money on the downside. And he always said that more money was made, uh, you know, and I'm not sure he coined it, but he did say when the market goes up, it goes up by the stair step, uh, the stairway, and when the market goes down, it goes down by the elevator. Mm-hmm. And so he made, uh, of course, on uh, October 29, 1929, he made over $100 million that day by being short. But my grandfather, you know, used to talk about study his trading habits. If you want to be a trader, study the way he traded and, and dedicated with certain disciplines. Obviously, his stops always were 10%. He said if I, if I lose more than 10%, and there was times that he did, that is very difficult to regroup more than, than 10%. So he's very disciplined in that. He had his own particular strategies, but more philosophically that he learned that, that he used to say, and Mr. Livermore used to say, and my grandfather used to say, that if you are only betting in the market one way, if you're only long, and of course, 85, 87% of most mutual funds mm-hmm. out there are all long, all long sure. funds. Think about it. If, if you went into an, an enterprise or in something where you had three opportunities to win, okay, mm-hmm. three opportunities to win, and all of a sudden I say, said to you, Jay, I'm going to take away basically, uh, uh, one of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually, and the other one is a preservation of capital. But I'm going to take away one of your opportunities. So now you've gone down to 66 and two thirds of the potential to win. Who, who has more risk? The guy who, who understands that there's three ways to, 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 to win, or the guy who is limited and does two out of three? And oh, by the way, in many of these funds, and, and being, and what I mean by by winning going long, going short, or staying neutral, or staying sure. in cash. Mm-hmm. Many of those mutual funds are not allowed to go to cash. Mm-hmm. They have a requirement to say keep a certain percentage, 20, 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50% long. So mm-hmm. put that aside. Let's say that we just said you can, you can go long, you can go short. So that means that you've got two ways to win. Now all of a sudden I tell you, Jay, I'm sorry, I'm only going to allow you to even do or think that you can only win one out of two. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jay, you just cut me by 50%? Mm-hmm. You cut, and so that's why most people, they don't even think of participating on the downside. I'll have to tell you, you know, I was a broker for, for almost 40 years. I retired as a broker a year and a half ago. Yes, I'm an author, talk show host, all the rest of that mm-hmm. good stuff. But mm-hmm. I was a broker for 40 years. My coup, 
my coup was back in 06. I was one of the few people in this country. It's it's documented. It's written, etc. Um, you know, uh, uh, Nuriel Rabini takes because he's in CNBC and like that. But six months before Nuriel was writing about the collapse of the housing market, I was not only talking about it, but I was positioning my clients mm-hmm. to go short the home builders mm-hmm. in 06 and 07, mm-hmm. and they were unbelievable. I mean, we made 70 to 100 percent sure. and still stayed short going into 08 and stayed short and then started phasing it out, so missed the whole entire 08. I, I put that all back to Jesse Livermore to say, look, there are two sides to the market, and you have to understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, and and of course most people are programmed only to think uh, on the long side of the market. Um, certainly, certainly true. Um, well, so you're you're looking at something like I think if I heard you correctly a little uh, a few moments ago saying you're looking at something like 3,500 on the Dow. Is that yes. sort of your target? Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, and stair stepping down or or on an escalator down. No, I think um, let, let me just give you what I've said because it's public and I, I've mm-hmm. said this continually. I think that we between now and probably the end of this year are going to take a a major hit. And not because of people will say, well, what's an election year and things like that. If we we lived in a vacuum and it was only the uh, the United States, I would say election year, the printing uh, of of funny money or credits by the Federal Reserve, Mm -hmm. no problem. We can keep this thing going for a long time. But Mm -hmm. we don't. We live in a world that's tied in the implosion of China, the, the demise of the euro, what's going on in Brazil, what's happening in Russia, all these things come into play. And I think the perfect storm where all these countries have been emulating us and each other from this building of debt is coming to a head. Mm-hmm. I think this takes the market down dramatically. Mm-hmm. I think then we get a retracement. And the retracement is probably after the election. There will be a certain degree of, uh, the election's over, either we have a new president or a president that we have has seen the light of day, etc. Okay, But then the ultimate, to me, the ultimate collapse comes. And I believe that by 2016, we will have bottomed in the market. Now, the bottom could be less than 3,500, mm-hmm. but when you look at it and you say, well, Bill, my goodness, we're at, we're at you know, 12,000, yeah. 13,000, you're talking 35? Yes, that's right. That's a lot of turmoil between now and then. Yes, no. absolutely. I think yeah. there's a tremendous amount of turmoil, and I think it reflects in the market. See, as an economist, I'm, I'm you know, two years ago, Jay, I uh, was the first guy, and I predicted that the, that Greece would leave the European Union. Mm-hmm. And I used to play on my radio show the, the theme from Greece with Jay, with um, John Travolta and uh-huh. Olivia Newton-John. Drove, drove people crazy. Every time I'd say, hey, it's Greece, and they'd play that music. And I said, watch, because I'd seen the credit default swaps. I saw, watch the spreads widen like they did in Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. in that particular Thanksgiving weekend. And mm-hmm. once I watched them spread, and then I started doing my same analysis that I did on the housing market, and I said, the European Union is toast, and probably the first one to leave is Greece. Here we are two years later. Now, as my wife always said, I'm usually right. I'm never, I'm, a lot of times I'm early, but as an economist, I usually kind of get it right because I like to think outside the box. Too many people think inside and say, wow, it's, it's this way. So, so yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that we've got a long way to go on the downside, and I think that uh, people can make a lot of money. But the big thing is when we bottom in 2016, it's people who have cash mm-hmm. will be able to 
uh, write their own ticket. I think that they'll be able to buy everything at 20, 30 cents on a dollar. Yeah, well, that's the key is to keep and, and to have the cash at that point in time. Most people will not have. Uh, Bill, 3,500 uh, is not the lowest prediction on this show. We've had Robert Prechter on, who's sub-1,000. Another guest uh, suggested 1,000 on the Dow. So uh, let's hope they're wrong and uh, your more, uh, quote-unquote, moderate scenario prevails. Uh, can I quote you? Can I write that? Did you call me a moderate on 3,500? Wow. <laughs> well, more moderate than Robert Prechter, let's put okay. it that way. Uh, you, you know, I, I think we've had A. Gary Schilling, and I don't think he would look at something as low as 3,500. But uh, in any event, we've had a number of deflationists. We've had people on the hyperinflation side, like economist John Williams on this show as well. So there's, uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to think about, and uh, we, unfortunately, we have to take a break now. And I'm wondering if you could come back for a few minutes on the other side of the break with us, Bill? Oh, I would love to. I would okay, love to. very good. Well, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back uh, for a few more minutes uh, with uh, my good friend here, Bill Tatro. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused, Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arrowway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arrowway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arrowway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.prodigygold.com. ProdigyGold.com and read more. Prodigy Gold. Today's discovery, tomorrow's future. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm uh, fortunate to have back with me for a few more minutes Bill Tatro. Uh, Bill, when we left for commercial break, uh, we were talking about a number of things. Uh, you know, you were saying that if the U.S. was alone in the world, um, you know, we probably could could keep things going for a while longer. But you but you mentioned, uh, you know, you've got the European problem, you've got a lot of problems in China, uh, things going on in Brazil and Russia. So we are in a uh, in a world economy, a global economy that's intertwined, and there's debt that's intertwined everywhere. But if I recall from your talk in uh, in Phoenix, in Tempe, at the Wealth Protection Conference, the main thing, the main problem that the whole world uh, is afflicted with is debt, a uh, huge amount of debt. And you you talked about Irving Fisher and his debt. Uh, debt deflation theory. Could you just explain that to uh, to us? And I believe that is why you think, you know, we're probably headed for a 3,500 Dow. Back in 1929, the illustrious Irving Fisher, the the day not on October 29th, but a few weeks or a few days earlier, was speaking to a group of bankers, and it was actually in the morning of, I believe, either either the Wednesday or the Thursday before. It was that Black Thursday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it was on Wednesday, the day before. And he made a statement that I'm paraphrasing now, that basically we have reached a plateau. Mm-hmm. That we have reached a plateau in the economy, we've reached a plateau in the stock market, that things are fairly valued, and that we, that, that this plateau that we should, will probably never ever recede from. In other words, he's saying, look, the market can only go up from here. Yeah. Okay, bottom line. And so all of a sudden, then you had Black Thursday, which, here we go, historical, 1907, take it up to the Black Thursday, 1929, the House of Morgan tried to intercede with the other bankers and tried to support the market, which they did for that one moment in time on, 20, on October 29th, mm-hmm. excuse me, on, on, let's see, 29th, 28th, 27th, 26th, 25th, 25th, I think it was 24th, right? Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the 25th, that, that Thursday, Black Thursday, they supported the market and they kept it there. But unfortunately, as they went into the weekend and we came out on the, to uh, to that fateful Tuesday, all of a sudden the reality struck home that you had all of these tariffs. Uh, the the we had overproduction in the United States. We couldn't ship around the world. We couldn't get stuff coming in. There was a freeze of that went on because of Smoot Hawley. It wasn't just of of uh, uh, produce and agriculture. It was everything that we put tariffs up. Gee, sound like reminiscent of today. Mm-hmm. But all these things, and all of a sudden, the market collapsed, and it was like a, a free-for-all. It was bad. And no amount of central bank intervention at that time, I shouldn't say central bank, but any kind of intervention just stopped it all. Now, Irving Fisher got egg on his face. Okay, The Yale economist may be, okay, may be the, the, the smartest, finest, one of the best that this country has ever produced mm-hmm. as far as, a, as an economist. He spent the next couple of years studying the 
the um, the depressions, the historical depressions, and he found out that there was two major components. One of which, okay, there was a third one, and the third one was interesting. And he didn't talk about it that much, but I've done a lot of study on what he said, and he used, always brought it up in his speeches. Is overconfidence. Mm-hmm. He kept saying, "Well, we're the United States. We're the United States. Right. We're the United States." So that overconfidence was was kind of like a demise. But the two key components were debt and deflation. And and the debt created the, def- the deflation. So the debt deflation theory was basically this: the more you pay off your debt, the greater the debt becomes. Mm-hmm. Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean, Bill? Uh, uh, I got a debt of a hundred dollars, and I pay off the hundred dollars, and all of a sudden I pay off twenty dollars. I only owe eighty. Well, the problem is, is how did you get that hundred dollars? Right. What did you do with that hundred dollars in debt? You bought something with it. And so on your balance sheet, it shows you have $100 in debt, and you have then your asset is what you bought with it. The problem is as you pay off more, as people are paying off that debt, the price of the good that they're selling, its price declines because everybody's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're liquidating the assets to cover their debt. That means that the asset, which was at 100, is now worth 50. It's now worth 20. It's now worth 10. And what he saw was this dramatic spiral down. So he called his debt deflation theory, which I believe is at the core of what's going on now, which tells me also that we have a, a between with the bottom, and I'm a 17-year cyclist saying the peak was reached in 1999, that means why 2016 is the ultimate bottom. Mm-hmm. Between now and then, we will see the ravages of this debt deflation, and aren't we seeing it in commodities? Mm-hmm. Aren't we seeing it in precious metals right mm-hmm. now? Aren't we seeing it in, 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 in stock markets around the world? So the last one to kind of hold up is our Dow, our NASDAQ, our S&P, and yet... I believe today we could very well go below, or in the next couple of days, I asked on my radio show, how many days before we see the headline that says, Dow Jones negative for the year? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're almost there. We're and almost there. So, so this debt deflation, and what it does, Jay, is it, it, it ravages, deflation ravages. See, that's what Bernanke's afraid of. He's not afraid of inflation. He, yeah. Come on, come on. The deflation is the core of what... That just kills everybody. That's you know my, my my good friend Peter Schiff, right? Who who everybody says when they listen to Schiff speak or they listen to me speak for the first hour and forty five minutes we sound alike until we get to the last fifteen minutes where he goes to the to the left and being a, a a hyperinflationist and I go to the right being a deflationist. Right. And I think that you'll see. Oh, by the way, I'm paying a little bit more or paying a little less in my tank. A little bit less yep. than gas. Yep. You know, oil has come down, $91 today, up a buck. But uh, look, next week, we'll probably be down in the 80s. So if you have cash, you're in, you're in much better shape. But, but why the disconnect here? Because, as you say, you and Peter Schiffer are so much alike until you get to the end. Here we've had, and Peter's argument is we've got, you know, trillions of dollars have been pumped into the banking system. Why isn't it working? It didn't, it didn't work in the 1930s, as we discussed earlier in the, uh, on the show. And it's not working now, seemingly. Uh, that's, very, that's very simple. That's very, very simple. And, and I always say this. They have not pumped any money into the system. Mm-hmm. Okay? They have. When, when did you get, when did the government man come to your door and hand you $1,000? What has happened? It doesn't happen. And so what's happened is they have created promises to pay. Everything in our system today is a promise to pay. 
Very rarely, and this is why I believe that the disconnect as we go, as we get forward into this deflation debt cycle, I believe that cash will be very, very important. Look, what if I told you that tomorrow you couldn't use your credit card? Mm-hmm. It was it was gone. That yeah. that you couldn't you know that, that it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Okay? Yeah. And oh by the way, uh, your ATM machine's been shut off. Right. And oh by the way, when you go to the bank, they're going to let you take just so much money out, which is happening in Spain and Greece right now. So well, I think you it's don't happening. Have, right. Yeah, I, so if you don't have cash, okay, mm-hmm. then then how do you spend? And oh by the way, you know you're not going to circumvent it by running up a twenty thousand dollar bill on your credit card. We eliminate the credit. Card. See, we are dots and dashes. And again, we talked prior to the show that what what people think when hyperinflation, they they look at the textbooks. Yes, we should have that, Mm -hmm. except that they haven't put the money like the Weimar Republic in the 20s where people were given cash. It was printed and handed to them every Mm -hmm. single day because prices were escalating dramatically. And you took the money. And oh, by the way, if you didn't spend it that day, you burn it for fuel that night because Mm -hmm. that's what it was good for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different system, as A. Gary Schilling noted, that we don't, uh, you know, we don't print money here. Uh, we put reserves into the banking system, then it has to get lent out. And if it isn't being lent out, you can't, through the multiplier, you can't really uh, get things happening. I had uh, one economist on this show, uh, actually more of a technical analyst, who suggested that if we had taken trillions of dollars uh, and uh, rolled back taxes over the last three years, that probably something good could have happened. We could have had a bottoms-up a stimulus. Do you think that might have been true? Oh, sure. I think I think that there, there's other things that could have been attempted, but I do go back to the ultimate that you have to have, and, and how we started the program. That when you do the cycle and you go growth, boom, bust, contraction, you have to let people fail. I, I, I'll just say this: this one thing is very, and I, I like to paint things, Jay, very, very simply. Mm-hmm. It's not that I, I, I think that the, the listeners uh, need to be as simple, but I love to paint pictures. Imagine if, at the end of the first day at, at uh, in Edison uh, in Menlo Park, when Edison was trying to invent the electric light bulb, all of a sudden Barack Obama or George Bush or or uh, Tim Geithner stepped up, or Ben Bernanke stepped up and said. Mr. Edison, you failed. You failed. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, keep trying and doing the same thing with the same filament, and we'll just continue giving you the same amount of money. Right. He would never have invented the electric light bulb. Right. He had to fail again at 10. Uh, Edison said he failed, what, I don't know, 500, 600, 6,000 times, whatever it was, and then he got it right. Businesses, people have to fail before they become successful. Every successful man in history has had a failure. Mm-hmm. But if you don't let these things fail, you know, I always ask people, I say, okay, I guess the automobile industry collapsed after the DeSoto and Studebaker went out of business. It collapsed, right? Yeah. Uh, well, no, wait a minute. Other things took its place. Yes, yes, that's what mm-hmm. the system is. That's yeah. what capitalism is. That's what capitalism is. Well, we're far, far, far removed from that now. No question about that, Bill. You know, people in my industry, I'm uh, involved very much in the mining industry, uh, especially people that are involved in the, in the base metals mining industry in Canada that I know, believe somehow that China can maybe pull us out of this mess. What is your response to that? Well, it's very simple. I look at three things that came out this last week. First of all, usage of electricity down dramatically. That means that you don't have any, a, a lot of production going on. Secondly, we talk about shipping. You know that the dry Baltic index has fallen off a cliff. That means that there's no tankers that are going. And also, 
rail car um, usage in China, and we're getting that data, has dropped down dramatically. And finally, bank lending has kind of fallen off the cliff there. In other words, growth, one could also make the case that all of a sudden China could be moving into a recessionary mode. Hmm. And, and, and not necessarily a negative, uh, as we understand the traditional two months of negative growth. No, I'm not saying that, but we're saying just if month over month you see it, if one month it's declined from the next month, I think they're moving in that particular direction. They being the savior, and of course, look at the unintended consequence of, or the fallout in Australia. Australia now is, is Australian market. The dollar, the Australian dollar starting to fall down vis-a-vis the, the, the U.S. dollar. Their economy starting to slide. And so we're all interrelated. And so as far as banking on, on China pulling us out, you know, you look at the two workhorses that thought that the thinking was they're going to pull us out was who? China from, from the, the Orient and Germany in, in the European <laughs> Union. Their, their production now has gone negative. It's gone like 46 on their, on their, uh, uh, on their industrial production outlook. Mm-hmm. They've gone negative. So the big workhorses, if they're, if they're going in that direction, what about the rest of the world? That's why I say Fisher's debt deflation, that's coming. And that, that depression is coming over the next three or four years. But I don't want to leave our listeners from the standpoint of, oh, guys, a dollar, dollar. Look, we're getting closer and closer to the bottom of the market, okay? Right. I mean, it's going to be, a, you know, somebody said, well, uh, gee, we're up around 13,000. You feel bad it's down around 12,400? And I said, no, I'm getting closer to 3,500. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the point is that if you can get it right, if you, uh, you know, it may seem unpleasant. But if you're ready for the reality of what life, of what lies ahead in your life, then you're in a position to protect yourself. You have a very excellent newsletter which I just subscribed to, by the way, yesterday, um, and you have a, you know, you, and you have laid out plans, uh, perhaps along the lines of a Jesse Livermore, to 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 benefit from this uh, shorts that you have uh, in the market. You're also suggesting people build cash, which I think is an excellent idea because if you take this deflationary view, that's Definitely what you want to have. Uh, tell our listeners before we sort of sum up, sum up here, what is the website where they can go to avail themselves to your service? You know, you are so kind to mention that. Uh, the, it is BillTatro.com. Is the, it's very simple. B-I-L-L-T is in Tom, A-T is in Tom, R-O, BillTatro.com. And they go to Macro Profit. Uh, and that is, and they can subscribe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the subscription is very interesting because you don't commit yourself for a year or two years or three years. If you, you go on for one month and if you don't like it, guess what? You can pull yourself off. Sure. That's very simple. But I, I want to say to people is understand it is probably the only newsletter out there or one of the few newsletters that's not going to give you 25 different trades and it's a, it is called macro profit. I'm a macro economist. So the bulk of the newsletter is talking about economics and talking about historical and, and all the rest of the stuff. So it's very, very in-depth. Mm-hmm. And then my son, who is uh, is one of the best traders, he has his own mutual fund out there. He was the youngest contributing editor to Forbes, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. He will in, intersperse with my thoughts, and we'll look at the trading, and we put some trades in there. And, oh, by the way, uh, that portfolio right now is up about 3 4% for the year, mm-hmm. and it's a longer-term thing, but it, it's, I would say by the end of the year it will be double-digit. And, of course, that portfolio is only for fun, and it's only for educational purposes mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, uh, you know, at our price, we think it's, it's very, very reasonable. So they go to BillTatro.com mm-hmm. and click on Macro Profit, and they can, they can uh, immediately subscribe. Well, some excellent insights in there um, for sure. Uh, I haven't had the time to, to read over in depth yet, but uh, 
you do have a few trades along the way, suggested trades that people can make if they oh, yes. if they so okay. choose. And so it's um, it's a regular monthly newsletter with some um, some updates or some ideas that uh, are sprinkled in between the months. So it's a it's an excellent service. It's one that I expect to uh, take advantage of as as well. Uh, and I would recommend to my listeners that they do that. Uh, Bill, any uh, closing thoughts before we say goodbye for this time? I, I just want to say is that when I was growing up, I lived near a train uh, a train station, mm-hmm. and I used to walk over to the train track, and I would my mother would drive my mother crazy as a little kid, and I would take the penny <laughs> and I'd put it on the track uh-huh. on, on the on the rail, and as the train would come by, I would uh, you know flatten out the penny. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to know, I got to be able to put my hand on the on the rail, I got to be able to feel sense when that train was coming, mm-hmm. and so. What I would say to our listeners, get that same kind of sense because when that train is coming at you, don't leave part of your body on the track. In other words, <laughs> you know, get off the track. And as a matter of fact, if it slows down, get on the train and go in the direction that the train's going. That is my advice to people today. Well, excellent advice. You paint a very vivid picture, very interesting to listen to you speak. Thank you very much, Bill, for being with us, and I hope we can have you back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Oh, it was my pleasure, and I look forward to it. Have a great day, Jay. And you too. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with uh, former Cleveland Fed official Walker Todd, uh, who will address uh, this uh, pushing on a string issue. How do we get out of this uh, How do we get out of this mess? And we'll uh, hear what he has to say in addition to what you just heard from Bill Tatro. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year. Strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www prodigygold.com and read more prodigy gold today's discovery tomorrow's future are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential cash flow and is located in a secure jurisdiction 
Goldridge offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies